Hear the word of the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. I ask your forgiveness for the uh, mafia-like sound of my voice. Uh, I feel better than I sound, but uh, hopefully I'll make you an offer you can't refuse, right? So uh, uh, if... uh, my voice fails. Uh, Brian Finnegan is going to come up behind and in a Cyrano de, uh, de way continue, and I'll just mouth it. And he can, he's able to produce that Philadelphia kind of sound as well. So uh, you know, you're talking to me, you know. So uh, we'll be we'll be just fine as we as we go through. Um, you may not. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. But back in the 1950s, uh, a fellow by the name of Andy Griffith. Uh, who he was famous, yeah, that's going to work into any sermon that I preach, I would assume, uh, was a stand-up comic before he became famous as Andy Taylor on the Andy Griffith Show. But he did a uh, routine uh, that's entitled, What It Was Was Football. And, uh, oh yeah, there we go, yeah. And uh, in, the, in this routine, he's basically an old country bumpkin who's becoming uh, introduced to some sort of something going on in front of him in this big pasture. So you've got these, these fellers that come out of an outhouse on one end, and then these other fellers that come out of an outhouse on the other end, and there's this great raft of people gather around, and when one, one group of fellers comes out of this outhouse, one side just hollers and cheers and goes berserk, and when another uh, a group of guys come out of this other side of this big outhouse. Uh, another side of the uh, this place goes berserk, and they go down to this pasture. It's got which has been lined off, and then they uh, then a couple fellow, a couple convicts come out, you know, into the middle of the field, and a couple of those fellows from each of those groups meet and talk to those convicts, and they start to odd manning right there, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden they bring out this pumpkin. And for the next hour or two hours or so, all they do, all that commences is the greatest what all of beating each other and kicking each other and, you know, poking each other, all to get a hold of this, this pumpkin, right? And, uh, and, and he describes this on and on and on, and it, it is hilarious. And, it, and it's a pretty interesting uh, social, uh, social observation. 
if we were to take a lot of the things we do as individuals and as groups and to, to, to take a step back and look at them somewhat objectively or with new eyes, we really would feel quite foolish, I think, you know, because think about really any sport for that matter, football, basketball, baseball, so soccer, uh, you know, golf. Hey, let's, let's take a rock and a stick and let's hit it, you know, and, and football, let's, let's just knock into one another and, and found, we developed this bouncy thing and let's throw it back and forth. It's really quite stupid if you think about it, right? So there's all manner of things that we do as human beings that, that if we, you know, outside of the context of our own living, might be a little strange. Well, at this time of our church year, we, we celebrate, remember, and think about uh, an activity uh, that occurred that, again, has some significance in our, in our own uh, context, but if we think about it, uh, would be strange. Uh, maybe not stupid, certainly not considered stupid, but, but, but strange. Uh, we are in the season of Epiphany. And epiphany means uh, the, the appearance, right? The appearance of Christ after his incarnation uh, to the Gentiles, uh, to, to the world for his ministry. And tied up, one of the actions or activities tied up with that, uh, that, that appearance is the baptism of Christ, which uh, Tim read about and which Peter, uh, from which I just read in Acts, speaks about. So... In, in, the, in the midst or in the beginning of his earthly ministry, he goes through this process of, of you know, dipped in water or coming to be, uh, you know, uh, baptized, which is a fairly strange, fairly strange activity. I remember in the time when uh, Andrew was uh, going to be baptized and, you know, he didn't know exactly what it was. And so I, uh, in a pool... Uh, you know, kind of demonstrated what that was, and then it came time for uh, for uh, Gene uh, to uh, baptize him. He got baptized in the Jordan Lake, uh, but uh, <laughs> but it was an interesting thing. And you know, poor because poor Gene, bless his heart, Presbyterian that he is, he uh, he he sprinkles right. He knows how to do that very well. But the whole immersion thing, he 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 had no clue. He really had no clue. Because I had practiced with Andrew by putting my hand over his nose and holding his nose as he went under the under the water, and uh, Gene, on the other hand, didn't think to do that and almost drowned my son. <laughs> so uh, you know that was that was fun, and that was a Saturday afternoon, and then the next day we had church and his first uh, opportunity to take communion and his first drink of real wine. That was an experience too. So it's, it's amazing, you know, Andrew's introduction to the sacraments, the blessed sacraments over the course of two days, I think may have caused him to really doubt whether he wants to do this following of Christ thing, but whatever the case. So these actions that we do, the, the, these baptisms, so Christ is baptized, and, and Peter talks about, and in the context of this, this baptism, uh, obviously John says, I should not be doing this. You should be doing this to me, but Christ says, no, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. And so uh, Christ is baptized to fulfill all righteousness, but we also see that Peter makes reference to this baptism as an anointing, right? An, an, an anointing, a, a, a placing of a, of, a, of a mark or a placement in place for something. And that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about today, the, the concept of anointing and, and what that means and what that is and and the significance that that has for us as we, 
as we live in Christ and obey. First of all, a little bit of, you know, understanding of what anointing is. It's, it's an activity that, uh, or, or an, an event that is this common in the human experience for time immemorial, not necessarily just connected to Judaism and Christianity, but we see it in other cultures and, and religions as well. Uh, it's sometimes uh, in, in uh, history uh, first seen in the Egyptian in the Egyptian world, but but basically in this this concept, this act, acting of anointing, there's kind of an ordinary component to it and an official component to it. When we see anointing happening in an ordinary sense, it's often associated with hygiene of some sort, uh, medicinal work of some sort. The 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 uh, the, the word uh, the Hebrew word masah uh, literally means just to dab or to smear, right? To dab or to smear. Forgive me for a second. And in that dabbing or smearing, there is medic- uh, it can be used in medicinal qualities, uh, you know, putting on a salve of anointment on the skin or in the eyes in some way, shape, or form. It also has a hygienic value in that it, uh, it uh, 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 wettens and moistens the skin and keeps it, uh, keeps it moist and from drying out and, and also has a fragrance factor to it as well. The concept of anointing is uh, sometimes seen in hospitality. It, it's, an, it's a gift of respect or an act of respect or just to show honor for, for guests. We see uh, in, in Luke, uh, Christ is anointed as a guest in the house. And then, of course, there's an official context to it as well, official use for anointing. In the, in the, Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew tradition and in the, in the, in the, in the uh, law of God, we see that prophets and priests and kings are all anointed for that work. In 1 Kings, we see the command to, to anoint a prophet, to set him apart for the work of proclaiming the word of God, to say, thus says the word, you have been set in your place to do this work. Priests, of course, anointed, set apart, sanctified, put in their place, ordained, as it were, to perform acts of worship, to handle the holy things of God, which, by the way, we see objects ordain, uh, anointed as well, smeared and dabbed or daubed in such a way as to set them apart for, for holy or sacred and significant use. We see the word uh, anointing uh, in, back in an ordinary sense. Uh, uh, scripture uh, in Isaiah talks about the idea of uh, anointing shields. And that's not necessarily an official kind of spiritual way. It's, it's the idea of just putting oil on a shield, which would have l- components of leather associated with it, which keeps it fit for its, for its work. So anointing and preparing, preparing the shield for its work. And then, of course, kings are anointed. In 1 Samuel, we see Saul anointed and, again, set apart for that work. So in this, in this official capacity, this, again, this sacred kind of uh, liturgical uh, uh, symbolic act, uh, it, it's a, it can be seen as a strange kind of activity, but, but it signifies something significant, of course. It signifies significant, that's redundant, of course. It's the Department of Redundancy Department. So anyway, anointing has uh, an act of identity. It identifies, it, 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 uh, it places a mark of office, of name, of quality, of, of 
of a, of a work to be done. A person is ta- with the anointing, a person is taking a role, taking a responsibility, a position different than that which preceded that act. They really are a different person. They really are something different than what they were before the act, before the oil or the salve or whatever touched their body. This act sanctifies. It signifies a sanctification. The word sanctifying or holifying, setting apart, ordaining, establishing for a task, set, set upon a path. And then there is an empowering. Saul, before the act of anointing, couldn't just say something and it come to pass, but upon the reception of that oil can say, let this be done, and it is done. So there's an empowering. There's a, a capacity that comes with the receiving of this oil, of the, this anointing. So there's identity, and there's sanctification, and there's empowering. What's also interesting is what happens materially or, or literally in the applying of this oil. Uh, whenever you put a salve or an oil, it, there, there's a sense of permeation, right? It, gets, it just gets down into the nooks and crannies. If you've ever, uh, we, we make a lot of uh, popcorn uh, in our house on Friday nights or Saturday nights to watch movies, and we put the olive oil down into the, uh, into the kernels to pop, and the instruments you use to handle the oil, you don't just run it over to the water. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, the oil's not gonna get out. You have to scrub because it has this permeating, uh, permeating nature to it. So the oil, oil penetrates, it permeates, it, it literally enters the body. It enters the body. Also this, this, this oil, as it applies or it is used, there's, there's a fragrance to it. And, and fragrance, uh, smell, it's a very interesting thing if you, if you think about it, you know, that certain things have certain smells. When, when, when an oil is, is applied or brought into the room, it, there, is a, there is a filling of the room. We see in uh, Scripture when uh, the woman at Bethany uh, anoints Christ's feet, there's, uh, Scripture tells us that the fragrance filled the whole house. It was, it was a very fragrant oil. And, and what happens in this, this concept of fragrance is basically uh, smell is produced by evaporation, right? Smell is produced by evaporation. A, a thing evaporates. The molecules and the chemistry floats through the air. You, you engage and, and encounter those molecules through your nose and, and uh, all the anatomical things that are going on inside to receive those molecules and and they have a certain quality, right? Uh, they have a certain quality about them that you can discern the difference between the smell of uh, bread or, or gasoline or, or whatever the case. And that's all uh, chemistry and molecules floating through the air, and that's all about coming from a breaking, right? An, un, an unmaking and an undoing, an evaporation of sorts. And so that oil crea- has, a, has a fragrant component to it. And then, of course, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a life-giving and, a, and, a, and an enlivening and enriching that happens in the application of, of this oil. Uh, you, you place the oil on the, on the shield, and it makes it more supple and less dry and, and alive and well. Uh, whenever we, uh, for, for medicinal purposes, that 
the salve that we might apply to, to skin problems or whatever the case, uh, it, it has a healing, enlivening, invigorating effect. It brings, it brings dead things, arid things, dry things to life. So, so that's what's happening both in, a, in an ordinary, technical, literal way and also a symbolic, liturgical, significant way with this application, this use of oil to, to, uh, to anoint, right? To name, to identify, to sanctify, to empower. So Christ, as he comes for his baptism and enters the waters and is told that he shouldn't do this, but of course ends up doing it. As he is baptized, he is, he is identified, he is anointed, we know through his ministry that he's anointed to proclaim the good news, the word of God as a prophet, to intercede between man and God as a priest, and to rule. Uh, as Peter says, for Christ is the king, Christ is the Lord, Christ is the Lord. So he's identified and Mark, you are the Christ, the son of the blessed, right? As John, as Tim uh, uh, read from the gospel of John. Christ is sanctified and set apart, holified, and we see that manifested throughout the rest of his life. There's an empowering and an authority. We see Christ as he teaches. How does he teach with such authority? How does he communicate and even the winds obey him? Even the waters obey him. And in this, in this anointing and in his, his coming to us, there's this, there's this permeation, right? We just finished celebrating Christmas and the incarnation of the Word of God, the, the seeping into the nooks and crannies of reality, transcendence creating imminence, right? He comes to us. He's not distant and far apart from us. He is with us uh, even to being tempted as, as we are, as Hebrews tells us. And there's a fragrance. Scripture uses this idea of the fragrance of Christ uh, that, that we, we receive. But again, that fragrance comes from a breaking, right? A crucifixion. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, upon his resurrection and the road to Emmaus, and Christ comes up to, the, uh, to the, the men on the road and talks with them, and they don't know who in the Sam Hill this guy is. And then they, they eat together, and in the breaking of bread, he is known, right? In the breaking of the thing, he is, he is known, and they see and so, so broken and, and spilled out and, and the fragrance and the work of his sanctification and redemption permeates the world. And of course, there's a life-givingness to his anointing. He, his resurrection, as Peter again mentioned in Acts, is like this anointing, this, this uh, reception of this oil, as it were, is life-giving. So, Christ is anointed, we see. And then we see that Christ anoints, anoints us. By our union with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, we are identified. Christian is the, is the word that is associated with who we are. Little Christs, identified, made, made uh, one with, assuming that identity as opposed to something else, brought from darkness into light. You were once this, and now you are that. We are sanctified and holified. Uh, 
immersed, encompassed, and enveloped in such a way as to be set apart, established for a new task. You were thieves, now produce life. You, you were this, now you are that. You used to do this, and now you do something else. And of course, there is an empowerment that comes with that, enlivened and enriched by the Holy Spirit to do something that we previously could not do. We're permeated. Christ enters the world in His incarnation, and by the giving of the Holy Spirit, uh, enters, enters us. We, we often use the phrase, uh, when I was growing up, we used the phrase of, uh, ask Jesus into your heart, and it always freaked me out. You know, it's like, that's going to hurt. You know, it's going to hurt Him coming in. But of course, there is that indwelling that John set, uh, 17 talks about, a mutual indwelling, that He inhabits us. We inhabit Him. He is mine, and I am His. A union in such a way that, in many ways, we are told that we can't tell where I stop and He starts. We can't tell where He stops and I start. Uh, that, that level of intimacy and union and identification. And there's a fragrance that comes from our being anointed with Christ, a, a hiding of, you know, uh, we, we, we use smells, uh, we, we receive smells in lots of different ways. We use smells in lots of different ways. We'll, we'll put some deodorant or some perfume on. Uh, you know, uh, middle school boys, uh, I think there's this transition, right, as, as little kids, they don't really smell too bad, and then they, and they get dirty an awful lot, right? And, and, and the idea of receiving the anointing of a bath or a shower is anathema to them, right? Because there's a sense in which, hey, I like who I am now, right? Playing in the dirt, messed up. And, you know, they get, they understand that receiving a bath is changing me, right? It's, it's, it's a definition of fun time over, not fun time beginning, Right? So I don't want that anointing. I don't want that, I don't want that bath. Later on in life, there comes a time when they, they do want that bath. And, and the baths get longer and longer and longer. And our water bill goes up and up and up. And we go, get the heck out of that shower for crying out loud. Uh, you know, because, they, again, they see, hey, I need to be a little different. Right? People see me. People understand me. There, there's an intermediary period between that young life and that older life where, uh, you know, usually young men kind of say, yeah, all right, I realize that I stink pretty good. I realize that, and I realize I don't, I don't need that to be the case. But for whatever reason, I really don't want to do that bath thing. So if I can get this cologne to work, if I can bathe myself in that, if I can just anoint my body for burial, as it were, <laughs> that should work, right? Well, not really, uh, not really. But, but there is a sense in which these smells, they hide things, right? They hide things, and, they, and they, transform, they transform things. And so this anointing and this, this per, per, uh, permeation uh, transforms and, and, and covers a multitude of sins. And then our life is enlivened and invigorated by, by this work of anointing 
with, with, in Christ and with Christ. So Christ is anointed as prophet, priest, and king. We are anointed and brought into him and as a body of believers, baptized into one another, united with one another, play and continue to work out that same type of role of prophetic proclamation, priestly intercession, and kingly rule. And in that process, we anoint the world. We anoint the world. Um, <laughs> I love to tell this story. And uh, over Christmas, I received a, uh, a book for a uh, gift uh, by a fellow by the name of David Bentley Hart, Eastern Orthodox theologian. He's telling a story about his son, he and his son walking down a, uh, just a park and enjoying some time together right at twilight. And he does some description of that. And at one point, his son, who's I think was maybe 12 or so, made a comment along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, woods are interesting things. There's all kinds of stuff going on in there, right? Lots of, lots of, uh, lots of fairies and, and naiads and dryads and so forth. It's just fun, you know, to think that that would be going on in there. But, but we know that science has told us that that's not true. And Hart goes on after that on a diatribe going, who the world told this guy these lies that there's nothing going on in there? You know, the religion of science, right, has told us there's no fairies. Death, burn it, son. There are fairies in there, right? There's all kinds of things going on there that you can't see. And the idea here is this, and it, re- it reminds me of, and as I read it, I let Katie know this uh, one time. We were driving to school when we lived in Apex, and uh, we went through a, a little bit of woodsy area. And she was in the middle of reading the Harry Potter uh, novels and tells the story of, you know, there's a world alongside a world that some people can't see and some people can and as we're driving along, she's sitting in the back of the truck and just looking out into the forest. And all of a sudden, she just said, I wonder what's going on in there. You know? And I thought, that's beautiful. I think there might be a lot going on in there, right? <laughs> eyes to see, right? eyes to see. There is in this, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot happening. There is, there is a world being born in, alongside, through this world that is ruled by principalities and powers. Those principalities and powers have already been defeated, and they're declining, and there's a world emerging. There's a world, this world is being anointed. This world is being, the identity is changing. This world is under new management a change of ownership, and there's a reframing of the basic principles of this world. There's something going on. And, and, and the pages of Scripture have the whispers of the people that were able to see it, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews. They saw it. They weren't able to experience it. But, they, but we, we have. We have. And... That world continues to emerge and come and be identified. And so there's an anointing of this world with another world 
transforming the way things are. There's a, there's a sanctity of the anointing. We, we, are, we are sanctifying and beautifying, holifying the things of, of this world, making beautiful. Ecclesiastes 3, I just love that a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. And what's interesting is it takes on so many of the different antithetical parts of life, time to live, time to die, time to build up, time to tear down. But what's interesting is that it encompasses the, essentially the whole, the whole of life. And right after that, that litany poetry, there's a phrase that I just, you know, I love, uh, where uh, Solomon says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. That in its time, all things, that there is no, there is no antithetical principle of evil, right? There's not good and evil. There are good things that have gone bad. There are good things that have gone Everything is good. Everything is awesome. I'm joking. I don't want to quote the Lego movie. But everything is good. It's been made bad. But a new world is emerging that is beautifying and holifying and sanctifying and making all things, all things right. There's a power, there's a capacity, there's a, an empowerment, a competency, there's an efficacious accomplishment of these things by the presence of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing about this, this transformation. There's a permeation, there's a, there's a seeping into the nooks and the crannies, there's a leaven, as it were. You get a chance this afternoon and would like, I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 47. And it describes this process of, of, a, of a river that, that goes into all the earth. And wherever this river touches, life emerges. Uh, and and, and, the, and it's good for the healing of the nations. And, and, and the, these living waters flow and tran- make dead things alive, ugly things beautiful bad things good. And, the, and then in Ezekiel, it talks about the reason that this, uh, this uh, water has such potency is because it comes from the temple. It emerges from the worship of, of the living God. And so our works here, our worship here, the things we do, the activities we take part in, the baptisms we perform, the... the uh, Lord's Supper that we partake of, the singing, the offering, the praying, the fellowship, all of these things are microcosms of the activities of our lives. And there is a salvation of all of that that comes from the worship of the people of God, filling in the nooks and the crannies, permeating and seeping into all the corners to redeem all things that Christ and there's a fragrance, and it fills. It's a spreading, and it encompasses. So there's a permeating down into the bowels of the earth, and there's a fragrancing out into the heavens in every aspect of our being, taking control of, filling, shaping, transforming, and in the end, renewing in a giving of life, such that in the end, an anointed sanctified, redeemed world emerges.
and we inhabit it forever and ever. And so as Christmas uh, and the, the pinpoint, the tip of the sword of the incarnation of the Word to a specific time in a specific place uh, in a specific way uh, is this drop of a, of, a, of a rock into a pool and the ripples go out and out and out and out. We have been the recipients of that anointing and we are also the appliers of that anointing in Christ that each and every molecule of existence, each and every rock, each and every tongue, each and every knee will bow and confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's, an, it's a fantastic thing that God does. An amazing, mythological, beautiful, lovely thing that God does in restoring all things to Himself and saving the world. And it's a beautiful, strange thing in how he does it. And it is a uh, significant and humbling and beautiful thing that we are allowed to be partakers of that and co-laborers in that. So as we live out this anointing, as we remember the anointing of Christ, the baptism of Christ, the epiphany of Christ, the appearance of Christ. Let us be renewed in our hope and let us be renewed in the certainty. This is happening. This is happening. And there's any number of things on a day-to-day basis that can distract us from that and the sense of that and the knowledge of that and the certainty of that. But you should know on this day, in this way, that it is happening. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Holy King and Lord, you tell us through the prophets, tell us through your word, that you have deigned to do a great thing that if you were to tell us, we would not believe it. And we know that is true. We believe that to be true. So Lord, we receive that promise of your work. We ask for your help to allow that work to be done more and more and over and over in our own lives and in our own relationships and our jobs and our our tasks and in our lives. We ask, Lord, that the Spirit and the Word will sanctify, permeate, enrich and dwell our actions, our thoughts, our hopes and our dreams, our relationships. And that that transformation will continue or start. And that we, in that, will continue to be co-laborers along with you. 
of the life and invigorating of all things. Little things signified and made significant and made holy and made potent and powerful in that they are handled and done and performed by faith and in love and in hope. We ask these things for the glory of Christ, for the sake of Christ, who is our King and our life and all things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit we pray. Amen.